This is History West Midlands. In 1874, Birmingham's lost philosopher, George Dawson, visited America, where he mesmerised audiences during a lecture tour which has now been largely forgotten. Recently, ongoing research by the Everything to Everybody project has revealed the influence of Dawson and Birmingham on the cultural development of the USA, and particularly the way it encouraged the spread of Shakespeare and his works into the Western frontier. The project's director, Professor Ewan Fernie, joins Professor Catherine Scheil of the University of Minnesota to discuss their exciting discoveries with the publisher of History West Midlands, Mike Gibbs. Ewan, you've kindly invited us here to the Shakespeare Institute at the University of Birmingham here in Stratford-on-Avon to meet with you and with Catherine who's on a visit here working with the Everything to Everybody project which you lead. Why is this a particularly important piece of research that's been conducted? We're delighted to have Professor Catherine Child as our American lead and international champion across the Atlantic in America for the Everything to Everybody project. And the reason for having such a person is that we're finding more and more that Birmingham's Shakespeare Memorial Library, the world's first great Shakespeare library, had a real global significance from the beginning. The relationship with America becomes more and more important after its foundation in 1864, and the library appoints American correspondents. Dawson is invited to America and gives a greatly successful lecture tour in America where he visits the great Shakespeareans of his day and makes connections or rather cements connections that had already been established. So what we've discovered is, you know, in previous programmes, we've had the pleasure of talking to you about this, Mike, that Birmingham Shakespeare Library is, you know, an enormous cultural centre in 19th century Britain. It's not a provincial library at all. It's the Shakespeare Library. It was important in Germany, as we've discussed with Professor Tobias During, another one of our international champions. And it's important in Australia, as we discussed with Professor Holbrook. But it really becomes more and more important in the States. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that Birmingham Shakespeare culture is a bit more amenable in America in some ways because it's not establishment Shakespeare culture. It's an opportunity to do things differently and to do things freshly. So there's almost a natural cultural friendship between Birmingham and America. Dawson is sent to America by Joseph Chamberlain, no less, as Birmingham's ambassador to America. And we're delighted to have Catherine here as America's ambassador to Birmingham (laughs) and to Stratford. And she and I have been working together she's found some fantastic stuff that we're going to talk about today but working together to find out just what Birmingham's relationship with America was like in the period and how Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library came to be an important cultural force there. Catherine as I understand it that relationship and Dawson's visit particularly has been largely forgotten in the United States and You, over the last year or so, I think, have been really uncovering new insights in America. What have you found? Well, the first research task is to figure out exactly where Dawson went. 
So once we've got that mapped out and confirmed, then I think the next question is who saw Dawson speak and who recorded their reaction to Dawson. I think that's going to be really important for figuring out what did Dawson's trip to America mean to Americans. And what was the profile of Shakespeare and Shakespeare's works in 19th century America? So 19th century America, you know, was very much the frontier in terms of Shakespeare. So there were established Shakespeare centers in, you know, centers of education and centers of literary activity in places like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, but a whole other layer of really grassroots Shakespeare activity across the country in places like rural Alabama, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where they were so snowed in in the winters that they had to have library books delivered, you know, once a month, something like that. The Western frontier, the mining towns of Colorado and through Wyoming and California, there were little pockets of Shakespeare activity, but very much grassroots. So people would move west with their possessions, with their Bible and their copy of Shakespeare. Mm. So in the American West, especially establishing your Shakespeare club was your mark of civilization. It was kind of your defense against the frontier. You could become a civilized town once you had your Shakespeare club. So there was great hunger for Shakespeare and for culture on the frontier. Exactly. And it was very much a democratic process. So in America at the time that Dawson did his tour, the ethos was very much everyone could read Shakespeare. You know, all you had to do was have a copy of the works, Mm -hmm. you know, among several people, for example. And there are a lot of stories of Shakespeare clubs founded in newly established towns where A couple of people would bring their copy of Shakespeare and they would share and then they would start their own town library with the collection from the Shakespeare Club. So a lot of these groups were comprised of women. So they would gather together their household books and there are some very inspiring stories of people bringing wagons of books from their households to like the central location, which would probably be like a general store. And that would be the start of the library based on the Shakespeare collection. So Shakespeare is very much at the heart of the founding of a lot of American towns. And you and this grassroots Mm. interest Mm. uh, and commitment is very similar to what was happening here in Birmingham as a result of Dawson and the library. Absolutely. It's fascinating, isn't it? That Yes, I mean, in a way, what Catherine describes is exactly what George Dawson wanted. He really wanted Shakespeare to be a kind of vehicle for a new culture for everybody. He said that Shakespeare is the water of life, and that might well have been said and probably was said by some of the founders of the American Shakespeare Clubs. And de Tocqueville in Democracy in America invokes Shakespeare. So there's a real resonance there. Dawson says Shakespeare would have been a Jacobin in the French Revolution. And if he'd been a priest, they'd have beheaded him. He's a really revolutionary figure. But God disguised him as just a mere actor. And so he got away with it. And sees Shakespeare as exemplifying a new world, a more liberal world, a world which isn't you know, made up of divisions and exclusion, but which is inclusive and diverse. So I think when he went to America, when he saw America and he met Americans, he increasingly felt this might well have been what Shakespeare wanted. So how long did Dawson spend in the United States? So Dawson came over in the fall of 1874 in September, and then he was back by the new year of 1875. So really September, October, November, December. And you said your first objective is to find out where he went and who he saw. 
What right. have you discovered so far? Well, we've discovered a lot of hopes and dreams of Dawson's. So he certainly wanted to go to places like the Bahamas and Jamaica, New Orleans, San Francisco. Whether he actually made it to those places, probably very difficult logistically. But so far, we've definitely tracked him in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, throughout the state of Ohio. So his agent, James Redpath, organized a train tour through rural Ohio. So Marietta specifically was one of the stops, and that was one of the Underground Railroad stations, of course, before Dawson got there. But kind of the next level of research is to see if we can find responses of people who would have heard Dawson speak. And that's quite a research challenge, because you have to figure out first where Dawson was, and then second, who would have heard him that would have recorded their response, and that would have been saved in some sort of archive. And where are you looking? Because it must be a a very broad search you're involved in. Right. Once we get Dawson's itinerary mapped out, I think the next step is to look in some of the local historical societies. So my dream would really be to find a Shakespeare club that was around when Dawson did his tour that wrote minutes and archives. And a lot of these clubs kept their own records. So they would create their own archive, like an elaborate scrapbook and, you know, minutes and all of that sort of thing. So if someone in one of those groups heard Dawson speak, they probably would have recorded it in their club minutes. And then we would have the actual reaction of a fairly ordinary citizen to Dawson's tour. And both on the East Coast and those people moved west. Right. Most of these small towns had a newspaper of its own. Will that help you? That could, yeah. But I think a lot of these Shakespeare clubs were meticulous about keeping track of things that happened in the world of Shakespeare. So they kept track of new editions that came out. A lot of them had the latest works of scholarship in part of their own private library. And here in Birmingham, was it widely reported? Will there be information that we don't yet know Mm. that's sitting in the Shakespeare Memorial Library? Yes, there will be. And Catherine and I have had a chance to spend some time there already. And we've seen letters from Dawson, from Philadelphia, from one of the great Shakespeareans of the house, one of the great Shakespeareans of the time. There are sort of endless reports of the send-off dinner, almost literally endless, <laughs> endless but from all kinds of Was sources. Was it a big event? It was a big event in Birmingham. Chamberlain hosted it and he sent Dawson as Birmingham's ambassador to America and the first of our leaders. And let's not forget, this isn't long before Chamberlain himself becomes in Neil Ferguson's phrase, the first self-consciously imperialist politician. So there's a kind of internationalism in Birmingham accruing. So yes, but there's plenty of stuff in the archive, sort of unsorted, that we need to look at. We started photographing things and looking at them. There are also records in the records of the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library of this burgeoning relationship with America. In fact, we rather suspected that that might have been stimulated by Dawson's visit, but it looks to be the other way around from what we've discovered this week, doesn't it, Catherine? So a couple of years before, Timmins is appointing the great... Who was Timmins? Samuel Timmins was the sort of Dawson's right-hand man at the Shakespeare Library, another member of our Shakespeare club. Dawson desperately wanted Timmins to take over as the president, but Timmins tended 
very touchingly to defer to Dawson and wouldn't hear of it. So until his death, Dawson was the president. He was a major industrialist. He was a major industrialist, maker of tools in Birmingham, but also a great bibliophile and really more of a librarian than Dawson was. Dawson was a thinker, philosopher, orator, public reformer. And Timmins was committed to all the same things, talked of a great cultural commonwealth being made in Birmingham and said, if only we could spend the money on the arts of peace and of culture that we spend on war, we could make an absolutely flourishing civilization here. But he looked after a lot of the day-to-day business of the library and he made his own very personal connections, we've discovered, with the great American Shakespeareans of his day. And they wanted to see Timmins as well as Dawson. It seems to have been the case that Timmins was to have accompanied Dawson to America, which we didn't know. Isn't that right, Catherine? And, right. Yeah. We also have in our collection of materials to go through, we really need an army of research assistants at this point, but we have nearly 300 letters of Timmins mm. to an American Shakespearean, Joseph Parker Norris, who was actually a lawyer, but you know, part-time Shakespearean on the side as well. So those letters, of course, talk about Dawson. In fact, one of the letters mm. from Timmins to mm. Parker Norris talks about Dawson's mm. death very movingly about what that meant to Timmins. So there's this almost intimate correspondence mm. between Timmins and a number of the American Shakespeareans. Yes, I mean, if I can jump in there, I mean, that letter was an extraordinary thing to find. And in fact, all those letters were. What did it say? The letter tells the story of Dawson's death as it happened. You know, Timmins is devastated. He tells how he didn't believe it at first. The telegraph was down or, you know, he didn't get the message. He refused to believe it. And then the news was confirmed. And Timmins says his death leaves an awful blank, not only in local, but in national life. And then he writes really movingly about the man who was probably his best friend. He says, I can settle to nothing and do nothing. He says, all I have or am, all I have ever been able to do came solely from his counsel, teaching and example. And he says he can't write more. So it was an extraordinary thing to miracle of modern technology. Catherine found this letter, said, I think you should see this one, sent it to me as an attachment. I opened it. We don't think these letters have been looked at much, if at all, really. So I'm here, director of the Everything to Everybody project, working with History West Midlands and other organisations to open up this life of this important Birmingham man. And here was a perspective from America of his death. It was an extraordinary moment, really, for me. There are 300 such letters And we've learned a bit more about Timmins from it. I mean, Catherine, you've noticed that Timmins writes a very particular kind of letter. It's interesting what you can tell from reading through, you know, 300 of someone's letters. So Timmins, very organized. He used the same stationery for almost all of the letters, if not all of them. Always wrote four pages, almost to the line. So they're actually very easy to photograph because you do the first page, open it up, second page, flip it over, and then you do the fourth page and you're done. So very highly organized. And I don't know if he didn't want to waste the space. He didn't like white space on the paper or he was just very, you know, that's the way his thought process worked. But very meticulous in the construction of his letters. So the one thing that's reinforced for us is Dawson is a rather hasty letter writer. He doesn't write many letters. He tends to speak extempore and speak so brilliantly. And there's a bit of 
I don't know what the <laughs> what the analogy would be, but they're a bit yin and yang, Timmins and Dawson. Dawson's the showman, he's the public face of the library, he's the man with the vision. But Timmins is very, very methodical, very dedicated, believes in the same things. Another thing we've discovered is that Dawson visited a great American Shakespeare scholar called Furness. Furness was assembling his own great Shakespeare library. It's the nucleus of a Shakespeare library which exists to this day and is administered as part of the collections of the University of Pennsylvania, I think, Catherine. But Furness collected all sorts of Shakespeare memorabilia. He thought he had Shakespeare's gloves, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He had a copy of Shakespeare's bust from Holy Trinity Church here in Stratford, which was the gift of Parker Norris, Timmins' correspondent. Furness shows Dawson this kind of train set, (laughs) Shakespearean train set he's been collecting. And and Dawson says to Timmins, writes to Timmins, we've now seen the letter, it's amazing, it's an English shrine, it's a Shakespearean shrine, you'd have loved it, you'd have had a good time here. He says that explicitly, Mm -hmm. doesn't he, to Timmins. But interestingly for us, Furness also had photographs of all his favourite Shakespeareans in this room and he had a photograph of Samuel Timmins. So we weren't really expecting that. You know, it's always Dawson who's the face of it. But that's a tribute to Timmins's methodical Shakespeare scholarship and it's Timmins who's part of that American story as much as Dawson is. So did Timmins continue this relationship after Dawson died? We think so. In fact, several of these American Shakespeareans were the source for books for Timmins in collecting things yeah. for the Birmingham Library. Yeah. Absolutely. So we we had an extra 10 minutes at the end of our time working together in the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library, the Library of Birmingham earlier this week. So we thought, why don't we look at the minute book of the library for the years around the time when Dawson was in America? We thought we might find something. And we were surprised really to find that Prior to the visit, Timmins was already corresponding with the American Shakespeareans. More than that, he had formally appointed both Parker Norris, his correspondent, and somebody called Joseph Crosby, who was built one of the top three Shakespeare libraries in America from the very unlikely location of Zanesville, Ohio, which is in the middle of nowhere. Timmins appointed both men as American correspondents rather like we've appointed <laughs> Catherine as American lead and international champion for the Everything to Everybody project for the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library. And that wasn't just an honorary thing. We expect a lot of our American correspondents in Birmingham. They were appointed to look for and procure books for Timmins and the library, but particularly Timmins. It's obviously mm-hmm. Timmins who's doing that mm-hmm. work. And there's another story really related to that because... The reason we discovered these letters, really, was that Catherine was diligently tracking traces of Dawson in America. It's done amazing work and has also found pictures of what these places that Dawson visited looked like at the time. You get a real sense of this Birmingham man on the frontier, in the liquor hall, on the, you know, almost looking at where civilization ends and where the new civilization might begin. And she went to the Folger Shakespeare Library and we had a list of things that she might look for. And I suddenly thought, okay, what about Timmins? I mean, it was as mm-hmm. serendipitous as that, really. And I think the night before you said, is there anything else I should look for? Because the Folger's just about to close, I should say. So we needed to get in there for refurbishment for years. Isn't it? Two years. Two years. So I said, see if there's any Samuel Timmins in the next day, I think. Mm-hmm. Catherine wrote and said, there are 300 letters unexamined. 
So you're clearly right at the beginning of this very exciting project. Catherine, in the US, where are you going next? In the US, I think once we get Dawson's itinerary mapped out, then to look at some news reports from those towns where he spoke, and then to see if we can find reactions from ordinary people to his lecture tour. Also, you know, all of these letters, of course, are handwritten, so they all have to be transcribed. And it's not for sure that there are important things in every single letter. So that's a monumental task to do all of the Timmons letters. There's another letter collection from Joseph Crosby. That's who you just referred to from Zanesville, Ohio. And that's about the same number of letters as Timmons. But Timmons's letters are almost always three to four pages. Crosby, totally different, rarely writes fewer than... I'd say two to three pages of long paper, but some of the letters span to almost 30 pages. They're almost all on different types of paper. So you might get the same letter that uses four or five different sizes of paper. And then there was one incredible letter that I want to say was 38 pages or so with a PS. <laughs> so, you know, it's just this energy too about Shakespeare at the time. Yeah you know, about collecting Shakespeare and editing Shakespeare and explaining Shakespeare, just tremendous energy. I mean, I don't know how Crosby had time for a job. No, you're clearly very excited about the project. I'm very excited about the project, yeah. And it's great to be working with a collection that's largely untapped. You know, when we were at the Birmingham Library on Tuesday, a lot of the materials haven't been seen for you know, decades, let alone haven't been the product of any type of research initiative. No. So what are the key messages you've always used with the Shakespeare Memorial Library project is it's unlocking this resource. Yeah. This sounds like a very good example of what you're setting out to do, you. No, absolutely. Yeah, it is, Mike. I mean, it's unlocking a story that I didn't know existed. I don't think Catherine did. And one of the big take-homes really for us and one of the big things we're seeing is that America's Shakespeare culture which you know Catherine's a foremost international expert on is really linked up with Birmingham Shakespeare culture we simply didn't know that I don't think Dawson in America has ever been looked at as carefully as we're beginning to look at it we can now confidently say that there are serious links between the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library. That was once the greatest Shakespeare library in the world. That's what Timmins wanted. It's what George Dawson wanted. It's what the mayor of Birmingham wanted. Joseph Chamberlain, another thing we found on the project recently, he's a subscriber to that library throughout his career. So when he's prosecuting Joe's war in South Africa, he's still faithfully making his contributions to the Shakespeare Library. So it's a big deal But the greatest Shakespeare library in the world today in terms of resource and extent and its collection is the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. What we're finding out is there are clear links between its ancestor, the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library, a much more forgotten cultural resource, and the Folger. As you know, our project takes a phrase of Dawson's. It's called Everything to Everybody. Now that we're working with... Catherine and others, it looks like we might have to change the name and it might now have to be everything to everybody, everywhere. Catherine, it's wonderful to know that this really exciting project is fueling such interest in 
the United States as well as in other countries. And here in Birmingham, we're so fortunate that we seem to be rediscovering this gem that most of Birmingham forgot for so long. Ewan, the best of luck for the future. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks. For more information on the Everything to Everybody project, visit its website, everythingtoeverybody.bham.ac.uk and watch films, read articles and listen to more podcasts about Dawson and Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library at our website, www.historywm.com.